Well, as we look back over this past year, we're able to count our blessings, begin to see how things have have worked out maybe really well for you, or maybe there's been an excitement time in your life. I know for us as a family, uh, the big uh, moment was for us when August the 20th, little Liliana came into the world and brought a new sense of joy into our home. And, and I'm always struggling just trying to find time just to get to hold her because there's always Rachel and Carissa who want to hold her or feed her. And, and as I look back over this past year, there's many things I can count my blessings for. And many things to be thankful for. Uh, my health is good. Uh, ministry is going well. New relationships and being able to spend time with the family. Well, every year also brings with it challenges as well. Difficulties, unforeseen events. I hope that you, you, you look past the, over this, back, this past year, you're able to see the blessings of God, but also there's been difficulties. There's been challenges that, that you have faced as well. Some of you have had health issues. Some of you have uh, been uh, challenges at, at work. Some of you joined the ranks of the unemployed, hopefully not for long. But as you... Look over, every year has with it challenges, difficulties, and unforeseen events that stretch us individually, stretch our family. Some of us may have even lost loved ones and dealing with that grief or a pet and, and working through that. For some, though, as we look back, we see that it has a, the year, the mixed bag of ups and downs, as every year does. And when I thought about this message, I sensed the Lord laying on my heart to speak on the aspect of blessings, that we are blessed and that we are to be a blessing. And the Lord directed me to Ephesians, as we'll take a look at in a minute, it's, it's, we learn of our spiritual blessings that we have in the Lord. But I also was conflicted because every week as we get together as a staff and as we pray for you as a congregation and the needs that we have, I often sometimes feel overwhelmed, hopeless, as I learn of some new tragedy or difficulty that someone is facing and wondering, how can I respond? What more can I do? We join in in prayer and pray for one another, and, and others come around to encourage that one that we learn about as we try to respond to those needs. But the Lord does not want us to carry those burdens ourselves. We are to lift them up to him. Well, something to help put that into perspective for me was recently when I heard about 13-year-old Logan. This Nebraska farm boy listens to a Houston, Texas Christian radio station from his parents' Nebraska ranch. And he recently made a phone call to the station. And as you hear this conversation, this phone call in a minute, I want you to listen to his heart. Don't analyze his theology. Just listen to his heart. Hey, Mike, can I talk to you? You bet, Logan. What's up? I want to tell you something that God just told me. Okay. Last night, my dad was roping this calf. And this calf had been born from a really old cow. She, she didn't have really the greatest milk. She didn't have, like, the vitamin C and stuff. Okay. Hold on. Mom! So cute, I guess, his mom's talking to I'm talking right now. I'll be up in a second. But 
that. Sorry about that. But anyway, she broke her back. And this morning I went out and put her down myself. I was talking to God. I was asking God why she was special. And God said, you know, Logan, but my son was special, but he died for a purpose. It's kind of the same thing. That calf was close to me, and God's son was close to him. Logan, you're, you're so right. It's true. Think you're going to be okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. But I just wanted to tell you guys that that is so important. Just remember, when you lose a loved one or a pet, Always remember that God gave his son too, and he understands. He will always understand. He will always just run to him. Logan, you're wiser than you know, buddy. Well, sometimes I don't think I'm wise. I, trust me, I've done a lot of stupid stuff, but I've learned from it. Yeah, but see, buddy, that's what makes you wise, somebody that learns from their mistakes. I just figured I'd better call and share with you guys. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye bye. Uh, he's got one essential truth right, doesn't he? God always understands. He will always understand. Matter of fact, anything you're going through, God understands. He'll be able to relate to every situation and circumstance that we find ourselves. And when we begin to look at things from God's point of view, we see it from his perspective, he is able to carry us through the next chapter of our life. It allows us to move from focusing on the bad to the blessings of God in our life. The light of God shines through when we start to bless and praise him for all the blessings and even the trials. That we go through when we choose not to focus on the pain, the loss or the challenge, because that can so easily overwhelm us. But instead, we count all our blessings. We can have a sense of hope for the future. This morning, I want to focus on Ephesians chapter three. Chapter one, verse three through 14, Ephesians one, three to 14. It is considered a doxology, that is, a declaration of the glorious plan of God through Christ in the believer's life. It is a reminder of the blessings that we have in God the Father through Christ our Lord. Because we are blessed by God, we are to live in that freedom. And we are to shine the light of Christ to those around us as we walk and talk about what God has done in our life. 2008 will bring with it great blessings as well as new challenges. Yet the blessings of God is something that we can expect to go unchanged, set in motion in eternity past. As it is a reflection of his character and his love for us. So let's take a look at the passage before us. Turn with me to Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love 
He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with, the pleasure, with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. As Chuck Swindoll said, Paul dumps a truckload of theology on us here. And he just keeps going. It's one of the longest passages in Scripture where there are like no commas. It just... But nevertheless, it introduced for us heaven's reconciliation plan. And I want to give a, a, an overview of that. Heaven's reconciliation plan is initiated by the Father, as you see in verses 3 to 6. It is implement, Jesus implements the plan of salvation, as we read in verses 7 to 12. And the Spirit empowers that plan of salvation. Well, here is a pre- preview of all that God has done for us as we look at this passage through Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. God has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Predestined us as, to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ. Has forgiven us has secured our redemption through Christ's blood and forgiven us of our trespasses and lavished grace on us, has made known to us the mystery of his will and has provided us with an inheritance, has sealed us in Christ and has given the Holy Spirit as a pledge of our inheritance. Well, you look at that and realize that overall, we are blessed people. We are blessed by God. And how? Are we to respond to God? As verse 3 reminds us, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, the text says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is important because it is a reminder that God is to be blessed. He is worthy of praise. He is the source of all blessing. He is to be praised for his holy character, and hence we are to praise God from whom all blessings flow. Are you familiar with that traditional doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The lines of the doxology have been the most frequently sung words of any known song for the last 300 years in the church. Every Sunday, congregations around the globe unite in this noble overture of praise. It has been said that the doxology has done more to teach the doctrine of Trinity than most all theology books put together. 
However, instead of being a merely perfunctory hymn that is sung each week, the doxology should be regarded by Christians as an offering or a sacrifice of praise to God for all his blessings from the previous week. Hebrews 13:15 puts it this way through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that confess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased Sunday should be a time of praise for us to offer up our sacrifice of praise for the blessings that he has bestowed upon us for true worship always Involves an offering. In the Old Testament period, Levitical priests would offer up blood sacrifices to God on behalf of their people. Through Christ, the new covenant in Christ, God wants our sacrifice of praise. We are to offer up sacrifices to pray, of praise to God, such as offering our bodies to be used for the Lord. Romans 12:1. The service of our faith and our material gifts, Philippians 2.17 and 4.18, along with our good works and sharing with others. It has been said that a Christian's theology must become his or her doxology, to be living it out, expressing it in his worship to God. What we believe should be expressed in what we believe Paul is using a form of baracha here, a, a blessing common in the Old Testament, often written and expressed with a passion and joy at the declaration of God's provision in nature. It is best described in Psalm 100 that depicts the blessing that is to go to God beautifully. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his name endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Well, what's the point? The point is that once I understand that the blessings that I have in Christ, I realize that I do not need to be defeated by circumstance. I am to live a victorious life above any situation or circumstance I'm facing. God doesn't guarantee health, wealth, and prosperity. But the blessings are available to all who are in Christ. This is important because today, blessings have been confused. That when we begin to talk about blessings, we think of something that I'm going to receive. As if when I pray, I'm going to receive more money, a car, or even better health. But actually, one who is satisfied easily with the things of this world will miss the greater blessing from heaven, where all blessings reside and flow. Just as God laid the foundation of the world in eternity outside of time, so he has invaded time for the blessings to flow into the church and into your life, and into mine. And whoever God blesses greatly can expect great things to be accomplished through him or her. But to whom much is given, much is required. For what is to be the result when God blesses, as it is a reflection of his character, is a result in holiness, 
blamelessness and a greater capacity to love like God loves as we reflect in his glory, as you see in verse four. Maybe as a church, we should think about our prayer commitment to 2008. Lord, bless us, but think in terms that God's blessing will result in more personal righteousness and purity and genuine love for each other and our community that doesn't know him because God is love. He is only holy and blameless that any blessing from him will result in godliness. But once we understand this, then we can praise God for his glorious grace. How many college students are home this holiday and wondering Maybe some of you, what should I do with my life? As you're now having choices, being able to make choices that you've never been able to make on your own, and, and what will happen after graduation? Others are wondering, is this the person that I should marry? And some of you may be facing decisions related to your career, family, or ministry. And you want to, an answer from God. You want to know God's will. In verse 5 and 6, we see the expressed will of God. His plan of redemption for all is presented. It results in the praise of his glorious grace. So with every situation and opportunity that you and I face, it should lead us to ask a couple of essential questions. God can use other people in other circumstances, but I think two essential things need to be asked. Will this bring glory to God? Oftentimes, either direction will say yes. If the answer is no, then don't go in that direction. I remember in Hong Kong, I had a man come up to me. He'd only been married about three years, and he was having some difficulty in his marriage. And he was convinced that God had spoken to him that he was to divorce his wife because he just couldn't take the constant complaining and challenges and the fighting that was going on uh, as as he was, uh, he had been he'd been single for quite a while, and and then they started a family right off, and and boy, just in the thrones of all all that had to do with just life. And so he said that he kind of was tired of this complaining, but he had visions of hurting his wife physically, and although he hadn't, and we were overlooking the the plaza, and the church was nearby. We were uh, up on the second. Um, balcony and, and looking over and so I just leaned her I said well visions of hurting your wife physically like what and then he turned to me he looked up and his eyes got kind of glassy eyed and he said visions of, of chopping her up whoa I'm like whoa okay <laughs> they kind of took aback from that I'm like uh, okay that's not going to work <laughs> that's not going to what you need to be doing and I said okay we've got to talk here and so we uh, Spent some time talking about uh, uh, hearing the right voice of the Lord, and that was not a voice of God. And and I did not send him to his home right away until we had taken some time to pray. And I had him go and spend time with the Lord and a good walk. And and I was very thankful that in Hong Kong they don't allow citizens to own handguns because who knows what he would have done. It worked out okay. He worked through that, and but sometimes. We forget that when it comes to God's grace, he also provides wisdom and understanding. In Ephesians 1.8, we see that. And we must be alert and aware when it's our hormones speaking or selfishness or pride instead of God. So the first question is, no, will this bring glory to God? 
A second question to ask, is the time right? Notice in verse 9 and 10. God revealed and made known the mystery of his will, the redemptive plan of salvation, when the time was right. Some time ago, a young man uh, came to me and he, uh, he was wondering whether or not God wanted him to marry his girlfriend. And as we talked longer, I realized that one of the reasons he was thinking about marriage so soon is because uh, he was feeling a bit of shame and guilt because he had went a little farther and crossed the boundaries in, in his intimacy than he should have. And, and uh, we had to, I sat back and I thought, you know, uh, before you start thinking about marriage, which is noble and good, let's talk about repentance first. Then establish godly boundaries so that you can be a godly spiritual leader in the relationship and make better decisions. You see, I have found that I cannot clearly discern the will of God in my life if I have sin or unresolved issues. It seems that God brings me back to the very place where I departed from him and says, I want you to deal with this heart issue first before you think about behavioral change. Because that will follow. In other words, how can I expect, how can I expect the blessing of God and to enjoy the blessings of God in my life if I'm not willing to confess my sin and confront my own weaknesses? As the scripture reminds us that when we lose every weight and hindrance and sin that so easily entangles us, then we're able to run the race that is marked out for us. But sometimes we hear the voice of Satan and our own flesh that we fear rejection and criticism of others more than anything. And sometimes that fear of exposure drives us to hide in our sins when what we need is the body of Christ to come around us and to encourage us and to lift us up. The church needs to be a place where love and acceptance is practiced without lowering God's standard of holiness. Yet sometimes the church at large gets a reputation as a place of condemnation instead of a place filled with grace givers. That's part of the deception of Satan as well. Yet God is calling us to lavish his grace on others because we are recipients of his grace as well. In verses 7 and 8, we discover that God has spared no expense in his redemptive plan. And it will not be thwarted. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The transaction is complete. We are to live lives that are free and unhindered. Sin can no longer stranglehold us. You're free. Romans 6, 11 to 14 puts this in, in perspective. I love the last verse in this section, uh, verse 14. For, sh- for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. We can say no to sin. We don't have to be under its spell. My favorite verses is Galatians 5, 1. It is for freedom. That Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Why be shackled when you can be free? 
What should be our response to God's grace? To splash in God's lavish grace. God's lavish grace on us is something we are to receive. It is as not out of His abundance. It is in accordance with His abundance. God's love and grace is the motivation for the blessings we receive. You see, unlike His mercy, which does not give us what we deserve, it is His grace that gives us what we don't deserve. Because realistically, we all deserve eternal damnation. But we receive infinite blessings. Why? Because God is gracious. Our relationship with God is to be, has, has been compared to like a, a judge who condemns the lawbreaker, but then comes down off of the bench and pays the penalty himself. But God does something even more. He brings us home and brings us into his family and adopts us and treats us with the same rights and privileges as a natural son. Romans 8.15 reminds us that we can call to God, Abba, Father. Galatians 4 as well. Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. Since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. What it also precludes and means is that intimacy between God the Father is ours to be enjoyed. A blessing. God is not distant and far. From God's unlimited heavenly bank account of grace, He spent all that was necessary. He lavished His grace on us. Why? Because He loves His creation and He has expressed His desire to do so out of His own will. Well, when I talk to my kids about discipline, they sometimes get confused between my rejecting of them and God's God's unconditional love, which we're trying to practice in our own family. And so when I corrected Rachel uh, on something and sent her to the room and she was crying and, and she was upset with me because she wanted to do this, but, but we did not want her to do that, she said, you don't love me. Big crocodile tears. I had to be able to sit down there and say, no, I love you. My love is unconditional. My love will never change. I wasn't pleased with what you did. That's another story. But God's love never changes for us. And we can never get outside of his grace and his love. We can get outside of his will and we bear the consequences of it. But we never exit outside of God's grace and love. It is unconditional. Well, what will 2008 look like? We don't know. Will there be another uh, senseless uh, shooting? Will there be another earthquake? Uh, uh, maybe some great surprising thing will happen. Just we don't know what the future holds. But one thing we can see as we look at this passage is that God will bring all things under his headship. It's part of his redemptive plan that started with Christ and his blood was shed on the cross. So then how are we to live because this mystery is unfolding. And we're part of this plan of God. Because at just the right time, His plan of salvation was implemented and is in work today. Are we to be passive? Fatalistic? No. We're chosen. But we're not to be frozen. 
chosen, predestined according to his plan, Jews and Gentiles bringing glory to God. I love this passage from Ephesians 5:15. Be very careful then how you live, not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, not, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, does this mean that I kind of walk around with a harp and sing spiritual songs? My wife would say, please don't do that. No. What it does point out is that the Holy Spirit is a spiritual treasure that is there to enable us to live and to honor God. We are to be filled with the spirits. We are to be in tuned with the spirits. The spirit of God will empower us to step out in faith and see things that we've never seen before. Well, who knows how God will surprise us this next year? Who knows what blessings or challenges lie ahead? Nevertheless, I think there is some application that we can apply in our life. One, I am to be thankful this past year for. And fill in the blank. What can you be thankful for this past year? As I began to think about this, I said, man, I have so many things to be thankful for. I thought, do I have anything to be unthankful for? And then I reminded, oh yeah, I got in an auto accident on my birthday. I forgot about that one. I want to forget about that one. <laughs> But then I thought, oh, all the blessings of God. I had a lot of help in, in getting it repaired. And so, well, praise God. <laughs> I can honor God and be a blessing in 2008 by. Is there anyone that you can be a blessing to? Anyone that you can encourage? My first step will be, how can I start that? Who, what's the first step that I need to do to implement that plan? Because I am to pass the blessing on. I am to be salt and light in the world around me. I am to look for opportunities to be a blessing to others. To pray for others. Do random acts of kindness. Like what recently happened in Los Angeles at a Starbucks. One guy came along and he said, I want to buy the guy's drink behind me. And the next guy came and said, oh, hey, I'll do that. And it continued on for about three hours. Just one person after another buying the person's drink behind them. Now, one question I have is, wow, what motivated the guy to start it? And what caused the chump to stop it <laughs> three hours later? <laughs> well, we are signed, sealed, and awaiting God's delivery as his final redemption. And we are to be about the Father's business as we... Start with our family, blessing them, and God puts us in our areas and circles of influence to be blessings to others. One of the things I always do with the family, sometimes as a group, sometimes one-on-one, is I have a little story time. So kind of sit back. I've got a little story that I want to read to you. During my pregnancy, there had been no sign of anything wrong with the baby. I took my vitamins, ate lots of fruits and vegetables, and did my stretching exercises. I expected everything would go as smoothly as they had when my first child was born. An easy delivery, a perfect child. 
In the delivery room, squeezing my husband's hand and hearing my, our baby's first cry, I was not prepared for what followed. The look on the nurse's face expressed her alarm as clearly as her words. Mrs. Gardner, something's wrong here. I looked in horror as she pulled back the blanket to show our son's face. One eye sealed shut, the other a milky mass. No bridge to his nose and a face that looked crushed. Although I knew I should take time in my arms, take him in my arms, I couldn't. I just couldn't. He was whisked away by the nurse and I was wheeled to the recovery room. I lay on the hard hospital bed, the tightly, the tightly pulled curtain shutting out the world. Still, I could hear other new mothers cooing to their babies. I even heard one bemoan, not another boy. And I was filled with jealous rage. I thought of all the dreams I had for this child, of cuddling him, of reading to him from brightly colored picture books, of his singing or painting or playing the piano like his older brother Jamal, of his eyes like Jamal's studying the keys. Instead, my baby was blind and painful to look at. Slowly, deliberately, I walked to the phone and dialed my mom. My agony poured out between sobs. It's a boy. His eyes won't open. I don't know what to do. Mom, what am I going to do? You're going to bring him home. You will bring him home and nurture him, she replied simply and firmly. A nurse appeared at my side, led, led me to a rocker, and placed a small blanketed bundle in my arms. Taking a deep breath, I looked down at my son. I had hoped he would look different. But he didn't. His forehead protruded under the sealed eyelid. An eyeball was missing. The other was spaced far from it. His bridgeless nose was bent to the side of his face. I didn't know what to call it. As, he, as we rocked, my, arm, my mom's words echoed in my ears. I began to talk to him. Hello, Jermaine, I said. That's your name. I'm your mommy and I love you. I'm sorry I waited so long to come to you and to hold, hold on to you. Please forgive me. You have a big brother and a wonderful father who also loves you. I promise to work hard to make your life the best that it can be. Your grandpa has a lovely voice and can play the piano and sing. I, I can give you music. Yes, I thought. I can do that. And that I will do. Over the next few months, my husband and I poured our energies into filling up the darkness in Jermaine's life. One of us carried him in his little snuggly or backpack at all times, constantly talking or singing to him. We inundated him with music, mostly classical, some Lionel Richie, some Stevie Wonder. His four-year-old brother was already playing and taking piano lessons, and whenever he practiced, I sat next to him on the piano bench, and his little brother was on my lap. After a while, I began strapping Jermaine into his high chair next to Jamal while Jamal practiced. However, I seldom took Jermaine out of, his, out of the house because I couldn't stand for anyone to look at him, to stare at my baby. Since blind infants cannot mimic a smile, they cannot see. They often do not smile. It hurt that I could not get any smiles from Jermaine. Every day, my younger sister, Katie, called and reminded me that God had a plan for each of us. 
One day, Jamal was practicing the piano, playing lightly roll again and again, his little brother secure in his high chair next to him. Jamal had just finished practicing and had come downstairs where my husband and I were sitting when we heard a familiar plink, plunk, plunk, plink, plunk, plunk, floating down the stairs. I looked at my husband. He looked at me. Couldn't be Jamal. Jamal was on the bed, jumping up and down. So we tore upstairs at the piano, head thrown down, a first ever smile splitting his face. Jermaine was playing lightly row. The right keys, the right rhythm, the right everything. In response to my husband's immediate and astonished, amazing news, phone calls, the house filled with family and friends within an hour. I sat Jermaine at the piano in his high chair as we stood around expectingly. Nothing happened. I hummed lightly roll and played a few notes for Jermaine. His hands were motionless and silent. It was just a fluke, his father said. No, I replied unabashed. It couldn't have been. I was certain our eight and a half month old son had perfectly replicated a tune. Two weeks later, he did it again. This time playing another piece his older brother had been practicing. I ran to the piano and listened as the notes became firmer and the tune melded into its correct form. From then on, there was no stopping Jermaine. He demanded to be at the piano from morning till bedtime. I even fed him at the piano, wiping strained applesauce off the keys. At first, he only played Jamal's practice songs, and then he played Lionel Richie's Hello after hearing it on the tape recorder. At 18 months, he played left-handed a part of Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, while my sister played the right hand when he gave his first concert. I crawled under the piano to work the foot pedals that his little legs could not possibly reach. By the time he was out of diapers, I was desperate to find a good piano teacher. I sought out a teacher at the Maryland School for the Blind and called, explaining that Jermaine was already playing the piano. How old is he? The teacher asked. Two and a half, I replied. A child that age is too young to start piano lessons, she said disapprovingly. But his strains of moonlight sonata filtered in from the other room. By the way, Miss Gardner, who is playing in the background? <laughs> That's my two and a half year old. Oh, bring him in, she said. <laughs> Soon invitations for Jermaine to perform poured in. He appeared on national television. He played at the White House for two first ladies. Stevie Wonder invited him to play with him at his studio in California. And a pair of Texas philanthropists who saw Jermaine on TV, flew him to Dallas for a special surgery to rebuild his face. Jackie Kess Gardner, the mother, says, I as I reflect on his accomplishments, I think my sister Katie's words, I think about them when I had despaired. When she said, God has a plan for all of us. God has a plan for you and your son. Indeed, I believe he did. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what next year will bring. But we can put the future into God's hands and trust him. By the way, the music you're hearing from Jermaine Carter.
Heavenly Father, may you be glorified and praised. As you use our gifts, our talents, as we commit another year to you, may you be glorified and praised through our life. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. and You help us to see things that we would never see because you are outside of time and you hold all the future and plans in your hands. And may we commit them to you. In Christ's name.